0: You're listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. We have been redrafting every NBA draft from 1996 through 2008. This is the 2008 draft. Ryan Rosillo is redrafting it with me. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. I like Shaq, Kobe's gonna (laughs) She's a three quads playing that D LeBron hit him with that steel and you yeah, already feel Pass it to Luke, yeah. he's gonna juke, yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, yeah It's a book of basketball, yeah It's a book of basketball, yeah It's a book of basketball, yeah. All right, 2008 redraftables. We went out of order. I did 2009 on the uh, low post and the reason is because Zach was asking me to do it really for the last two and a half months. He was so fired up to talk about that draft. So we jumped ahead. So if you, if you want to listen to this 08 one and then go on the low post and listen to 09 to be in sequence, we're also going to run the uh, low post one eventually in the book of basketball. Podcast. By the way, who'd you so take one? I haven't listened to it yet. In the 09? Yeah. So Zach seemed to think that was more of an argument than I did. I, I thought it was like Curry hands down. I, I didn't think about it for more than a second. And Zach agreed, but thought there was at least we should talk about the case for Harden, which um, I was less lukewarm on because I just, as we've discussed many times in this pod, I just think Curry is the generational culture superstar that we've had. He's Duncan for this generation. If he's on your team, you're competing. If you put him with good players, you have a chance to win the title. And and he's an iconic player. So that was pretty easy for me. What would you have said? Are you serious? Well, I just, just so America listening, they might not a hundred percent know how you feel.
1: <laughs> I would have taken Curry one. The, the only argument you can make for Harden is games, how he holds up. And I know what the raw numbers are, but, um, uh, I, I would not, uh, I
0: wouldn't spend too much time on it. The playoffs thing, uh, kills him. All right. So 2008. Really, really interesting because when I did my redraftables piece for Grantland in 2014, here's what I wrote pound for pound. That's our best draft since 1998, three franchise guys, two all-star assets, two borderline, all-stars, 10 starters and 10 rotation guys. If we had five straight drafts like that, when the league would have to expand to 35 teams, here's what's fascinating. Except for Westbrook, who I think has gained steam as an asset since 2014. Every other guy in this draft was at a higher kind of asset value in 2014 than they are now. And now I look at this draft. It's fine. But it's certainly not anywhere near as exciting as it was in 2014. What happened? What happened to this draft? Well, Rose got hurt. But he was hurt. He was hurt when I wrote this. Yeah. But I just assumed he was coming back at some point and be and he was gonna be a hundred percent again, but it never happened.
1: Yeah, and I know we're gonna do a lot of rows, so I'm not gonna use it all here. Um Beasley's totally washed out. Mayo has been out of the league for two years. I think there's actually been some Westbrook um, some anti Westbrook momentum that's fair since we were just like, Wow, this guy's amazing. Kevin Love isn't the same guy. So
0: that's one of the big losses is that when I wrote in 2014, I considered him to be a franchise player because he was. He was coming off a 26 and 12 season and was a top 10 guy in the league and has never hit that point since.
1: Yeah, it's a significant. It is like the equator. Kevin loves career when you look at just the stats. But now I almost feel like Kevin loves become underrated when you dig through kind of some of the numbers that he's putting up. But this is such a weird redraftable because you go, okay, there's a clear one. I'm pretty sure who two is. And then I started doing this thing where I kept ranking them in different orders constantly. And I'm like, don't get so... This was one of the ones where I pushed back on the stats more than other redrafts because I'm going... I just would rather have this guy than that guy. I know what the stats say. I know what the wind shares are. I know all the different stuff on this because we can just sort through it all as we have. And it hasn't just been about I don't want to just go, hey, here's the wind shares guys, one through 14. And that's my order because that's not right. But there's there's such a like grouping of tiers after kind of the one and two, maybe even three guys where I just started ranking them based on, hey, I just like this guy better than this guy. And because these have become later there's still a part of who is the guy today and then who do you expect him to be for a couple of years because some of these players it's weird a couple of them actually gotten better recently
0: well then you had on top of having some real good guys in this draft you had this run from 21 to 26 that was really unusual for an nba draft where you had Ryan Anderson, Courtney Lee, Kostakoufas, Serge Ibaka, Nick Batum, George Hill six in a row where. All of those guys were rotation guys are better. Kofis was probably the worst out of them, but, um, you know, to get, go even a Baka Batum Hill, 24, 25, 26 was just wildly unusual on top of some of the other stuff. Roy Hibbert was 17 that seemed really important in 2014, uh, and became a lot less important as it went, but it, it was just a really deep draft. Dragic is 45, uh, Omer Asik. He was 36. Um,
1: Mbamute
0: 37. You know, I mean, so Mute played. So if you're saying like what draft had the most guys who were in an eight man rotation at some point in their career, this is probably uh, a candidate, but let's start here for the biggest story. The, it, it didn't feel this way at the time, but I think we, I think we really have to play up how amazing that Westbrook pick was because I loved him that whole year. I watched a lot of that UCLA team. I was still, I was writing a lot about college basketball that year in my, uh, my column and Westbrook had become my sleeper because he was such a great energy guy and he was such a good athlete, but not to the point I ever thought he would be the fourth pick in the draft. I mean, I thought it was going to be somebody like, man, if you get that guy at like 16, that guy could be a steal. Then he kind of slid into the lottery Then there was some top 10 potential when the workouts happened. And when they took him, it was a year after Durant. They're about to move to Oklahoma city. They're looking for somebody to compliment Durant. But Kevin Love was a way more obvious pick. And Kevin Love was a better college player. He, he was more hyped. It was an easier pick and they didn't even blink. They were like, Westbrook's our guy. What do you remember about that in 2008? Collison was, was the guy that ran this and it's Ben
1: Howland's offense too. So like It's not exactly perfect for who Westbrook was, because Westbrook at that point, you're going, OK, what what are you really drafting? Because he didn't feel like a point guard. And in a different college offense, he probably would have shown us these things where I think he's arguably at his peak, the greatest athlete I've ever seen playing the, play the NBA. I mean, that's just how special of an athlete that I think he is. But for Presti in the front office to see that over Kevin Love and some of the other guys, it really is one of the most. I don't know if it's underrated, but it, I'll just put it this way. It's probably as impressive a draft pick as I've seen because you just you were like, OK, is he a basketball player, though? And sometimes with these athletic guys that we all fall in love with in the eye test and it's so impressive and it really was with him. And then I think he even took it to another level and his ferocity, which I don't think I quite understood, certainly not until he was a pro for a bunch of years where I go, this guy he had it in
0: college, though. Yeah, but like he, just, he really he played at a speed in college that was just exhilarating and and he had no idea what to do. It was like watching somebody drive the most powerful car and have no idea how to keep it on the road. And but to you take could, that guy. The forward, scenes were though. there.
1: Yeah, but, it was not still. But that's why so many times when I when I like these things and I'll, I'll kind of come back to like, weren't are you going to be right more often saying, hey, is he any good at the basketball stuff? And when, when the answer is like a hesitation, usually that player doesn't end up being somebody who's going to end up in the hall of fame. And that's, you know, despite some of the warts that I think Westbrook's game has, and I don't know if we want to get into those, but the positive part of this is it's an unbelievable pick and it's probably even greater than they ever could have
0: imagined. Well, they also get a Baca later in the draft too. I mean, this is one of the best nailing those two picks and the way they nailed them was, uh. Probably what, probably one of the best drafts anyone had this century. Just those two picks. I wrote in my draft diary when they took him, minor shocker. Loved his potential. Loved him all season. Even I can't defend that one. "Quote: Who would have thought last year at this time that Russell Westbrook could be, had been the fourth pick in this draft?" Jay Billis ass. and I wrote, "Last year? What about last week? What about <laughs> five minutes ago? Had a Seattle pass on Kevin Love there? Because to me, Kevin Love was a sure thing." At the very least, we knew he was going to be just an insane rebounder, great outlet passer, all that stuff. And I actually like the idea of him playing with Durant. But Presti, he nails that. He nails Ibaka. and And as Zach and I covered in the 09 podcast, really nailed the Harden thing in the sense of, I can bring this guy in. He's not going to want to be the man. He's the kind of personality that will fit with these other three guys. Like The amount of thought they put into just those moves And then the last piece, which they had to decline, was the Tyson Chandler trade, which was the secret kind of sliding doors moment for that whole OKC dynasty until the Harden trade, where they have Tyson Chandler. They have to fail him medically. And if they keep him, remember, Tyson Chandler was the anchor of that 2011 Mavs team that won the title. And you think like that 2011 OKC team loses to the Mavs. And they lose to the Mavs partly because they're not quite ready yet. And because Dirk outplays Durant, but also because Tyson Chandler is on the Mavs. And I, I think if they had nailed that Tyson Chandler thing, I I'm not sure what the next decade looks like. But I, I think OKC would have won a couple titles. Yeah, and I also want to go back to like the Westbrook thing in that
1: when I talk to college guys after he was, you know, ready to leave after his sophomore year, and I go, you know, what can you tell me about him? And they go, you know, it's something with his body where, you know, a lot of times guys. Develop later. Like sometimes we forget about that stuff. Like all, he's kind of reminded me of the the Last Dance doc where they go, "How did scotty Pippen end up here and then there?" Like, well, he grew six inches. How come Michael Jordan was cut from varsity his sophomore year? Well, he he grew like six inches. You know, like some of these guys that we we ask all these questions, like, "How did this happen? How did this happen? How come this guy wasn't ranked as high as a recruit?" Well, because he was five ten and then he was six four. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, like right. sometimes this stuff isn't as hard as how your body fills out or some kind of growth spur and the UCLA guys apparently were saying, you know, Westbrook was somebody who came back in that second year and was just a different cat physically was just different. And, but was still,
0: but was still an overachiever. So he had all the overachiever stuff, but then grew into this world-class body that as you, you said, he was, do you really think he was the greatest athlete you've seen in a basketball court? I think he's in the top like eight or nine for me, but I wouldn't say number one.
1: Yeah, I think he's the best. I really do. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's there's little stuff that he does. And and yeah, look, I mean, I've done it before and, it, and it's fair. You know, I, I like if you're going to talk about somebody like talk about all of it and the rebounding numbers have been padded because for a bunch of years, if you were a big guy, you weren't allowed to go get a rebound. But what kind of countered that for a guard having these insane rebounding numbers is He would follow his own shot, which you don't always want to do in the NBA, but he would follow his own shot because out of your hands, you know if it's going to be a miss. And the defender would go to box out the shooter and Westbrook would run around him before. the. And we're talking like NBA athlete wings, not even getting a hand on Westbrook as he would go get the offensive rebound and flush it and his drives. I was watching some clip they had of him the other day because he and De'Aaron Fox were going at it about who was fastest end-to-end. And the way he can take off and just, just fly through all of these bodies, I do think it's physically... You know, you could say, hey, LeBron's bigger and what he does at that size. Okay, that's fine. Shaq's footwork, Akeem, and all this different stuff. But I just think raw ball of muscle and athletic power at his size, I really think it's the most impressive thing I've seen.
0: And ironically, Rose is in this draft. He's the number one pick, I think, you know, through 2011 would have been inconceivable. He wouldn't have been the first pick in the redraft. But what's funny is I always felt he was on the short list of athletes for me, like the way you talked about Westbrook. And there was a couple points in 10 and 11 and then post lock in the lockout season when Rose and Westbrook went head to head on league pass. And it was like watching two superheroes athletically, like like battle powers. They were. I, I mean, the Rose thing, if they ever have the Rose documentary, I hope they interview me because I'll never forget going to a Clipper game. I think it was the lockout season. And just I was just in absolute awe of some of the shit he did. Like the the way... The, the torque that he would put on the lower half of his body as he was driving into three guys and just stopping on a dime when he was going 22 miles an hour and then going in the other direction. And it was like, what the fuck is going on? And he was going against Eric Bledsoe, I think. I want to say they were going head-to-head at one point. Um, or maybe it was Bledsoe Westbrook. But Bledsoe was another guy like that where the athleticism, you're just like, oh my God. but uh, But Rose versus Westbrook, That's one of the, there's so many reasons to be bummed out why Rose got hurt. And when we do the redraft, we have to factor in that that was a fluky ACL injury. It was 47 seconds left in the first game of the 2012 playoffs. They were uh, co-favorites with Miami at that point. And I think if he doesn't get hurt, I don't know why he wouldn't have had a career at least as good as Westbrook. I honestly think he could have been just as good. I think he could have had just as much success. And I think statistically he could have been as good. I don't think he would have had the, uh, the rebounds. No, but I think he would have been a a 25 and seven, 28 and seven. And then as the league, as, as we go into 2014, 15, when it starts to open up and it becomes so much easier for guards to get to the basket, you know, could he have developed the three pointer? Maybe he's kind of done it in the late part of his career a little bit anyway, but, uh, I think, I just think he would have been as good.
1: Yeah, the difference would be, though, you can say it's a fluky injury, but clearly injuries affected Rose differently than they did Westbrook. Where Westbrook, I think it's that Portland game where he had a dent in the side of his head, and you could see it. And he was like, check ball. Like, let's let's fucking go. And Rose (laughs) was not like that. You know, the Bulls thought Rose was ready to go a couple times. Remember the playoff thing? And then it was like, okay, now he's not. And... So if Rose hadn't gotten hurt, okay, fine. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just think that they have completely different approaches to how they felt about their bodies after the fact where Westbrook would have to be missing an arm and then he would still just dribble left where Rose, let's face it. I mean, injuries got in his head a little bit here and it derailed a career that I actually can't believe how productive he's been now. Because at this point, like for him to be scoring 18 a game these last couple of years, and he's been, he was a bad three point shooter this year. He was pretty good last year for him because he was never a great shooter. But I love that, that Rose has had some kind of reclamation to his career here. But you're right, peak Rose. And if you go back to that battle, it was Beasley number one most of the year. And then Rose has that run through the tournament. And you start thinking about the league and the Chris Paul types. And you're going, you know, what's really important now? And this is pre obsession of shooting here. But. Can you get one of these guards that's so athletic? Like it just felt like overnight. Like, look how sick these athletes are at the point guard position, and I need one that can break people down and get to the hoop. Now, in college, there's a lot of small guards that are pretty athletic that can get past guys and then finish in college, but there's a whole different level of finishing at the rim as one of those smaller guards. Like Telfair is a good example. Telfair, good handle. He wasn't the, he wasn't an athlete like Rose Westbrook. But even if he got by the defender, once he went to the rim, nothing was going to happen for him. He just wasn't going to be able to finish consistently enough and get you enough buckets. So then you're like a drive and kick guy. And then once everybody knows you can't even finish at the rim, it changes what you're doing when you're closing out on shooters. Rose could get around anyone. And then he could still, as people were shading towards him on a drive or just ready to make up for something, he'd still finish all of those guys. So at his peak, I don't know that anybody was better than Rose was. Prime Rose. Of just balling his hand, getting to the hoop. Because you're right, the stuff that he did, it's just, it was different. And, you know, it's, well, the, again, it's not the only guy, but it just was different at his peak.
0: In a, in a league where it was much harder to get to the rim, you know, because you just had more bodies in the paint and things like that. Two things off of what you said Zach and I talked about it a little in the 09 draft, 07, 08, 09. The league is really starting to shift in what they value with the prime guy, right? Because Odin versus Durant, which we covered, there was still that mindset. If I have a franchise center, that's the best thing I can have. Oh, nine. Memphis doesn't want to know what to do at number two. They end up taking to beat. Is still that mindset. Ah, when it, when in doubt, go with the center. But at the same time, the smarter teams are looking at it and going, you know what? The league's changing. The best thing you can have is a perimeter guy. You can build your in, a contender around somebody who's an awesome perimeter guy. And I think with Rose, you saw it in that first rookie season when when they end up going against the 0-9 Celtics without KG. They have that legendary round one thing. You come out of that, you're like, oh, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. And every checkpoint he hit, he wins the MVP in year three. Controversial MVP. Um, yeah, he shouldn't have won it. He shouldn't have won it. But nobody's been able to tell me who should have won it is the problem. You don't think, think LeBron he, should have won it? I actually would have voted for Wade.
1: I, there was such an anti-LeBron thing because it was his first year down in Miami. The numbers are better for LeBron across the board. Chicago had four more wins. Let's face it. It was another one of those things. And I'm not knocking it because it happens. But it was the story of Chicago's own in his third season, bringing the Bulls to a wall. No, there seed. was more
0: to that because he was really in crunch time. It was him or bust. They had all role players. And I always thought LeBron at least, you know, he's playing with Wade and Bosch here. If I had to do it over again, I picked Rose at the time, even though his stats, when you look at it, um, LeBron's stats were a little bit better, but it, the move was Wade because Wade had an awesome year. I think Wade was the best player in the league that year and all the way through the finals until, you know, Dirk caught fire in the playoffs and did the whole thing. But Wade was just unbelievable that whole season, but on top of it he does this mastermind move where he gets Bosch and LeBron to come to Miami. I feel like that should have counted as part of the MVP.
1: I think it worked against
0: him. Yeah. But I'm saying nine years later, it's like we actually should have factored that in. Like not just the statistical resume, but the fact that he convinced the reigning two-time back-to-back MVP to come play in his team. So anyway, I the Rose MVP, it's, it's a good argument because like Zach voted for Dwight Howard that year. It was one of those years where there just wasn't a good enough choice and everybody kind of did whatever they want to do. Uh, a couple more storylines. You mentioned Michael Beasley. So Rose went first to Chicago. Miami was on the clock at number two. They had a, a great tank season that couldn't have worked out better. They got rid of Shaq, all this stuff. And, uh, there were a couple red flags with Beasley that I forgot about until I did the research. Six high schools. Well, you had all that. You had all the head case stuff that we knew about. But the reality is in college, he, he was 25 and 12. I mean, he was putting up numbers that if you look at what college guys have averaged the numbers he averaged that year, it's pretty much a lock. You're going to be a good NBA player unless you like, you know, commit a felony or something. Um, Kansas state listed him at six foot 10 all year. They did the pre-draft cramps and he was six foot seven red flag. Number one, um, I imagine that's socks, right? Six, seven socks. The yeah, whatever. Six, seven with shoes. Right. Red flag number two, Riley was still working out, dudes, up until like the day of the draft. He I think he brought in Jared Bayless. He brought in uh, who was the other guy? OJ Mayo. Um almost like he knew. And then I think the upside was just too high. But Beasley is the type of guy that over and over again sucks somebody into taking him too high the, we all knew what the baggage was the six foot seven thing was the deal breaker for me i i at that point i was like I, I i don't just seems too high but also couldn't really i just would have taken kevin love i don't know why they didn't but um but what do you remember about that in 08
1: just that it was beasley's year it was most of the year I, you know it's not the same thing but it's happened other years where Jalil okafer was for the most part like oh he'll go one he'll go one and then you were like ah. I don't know, Carl anthony Towns is better. And then you were starting to get more reports on Jalil's defense and lack thereof. And now you're like, wait a minute, Jalil's like, this isn't even a one versus two. Like Towns is definitely going one and we don't know where Jalil's going to go. And it was Beasley one almost the entire year. And I remember early on being a Rose guy, but it wasn't like it was because I was off of Beasley. It was just those things you were talking about. How special this kid was at getting to the hoop and breaking down a defense and going, that's what the league seems like it's becoming. and. I had heard all sorts of stuff about Beasley and none of it's awful. You know, it's it's not, it's just a lot of little things where you still would talk yourself into it too. Cause you go, okay, he was at a bunch of different high schools. Yeah, okay, he was a little difficult. Like, how the hell did he end up at by the Kansas way? Amar- State?
0: Amari had all the same stuff.
1: Yeah. So it's not you can't always sit there and say because a guy's had this weird high school thing going on that it means he's a bad guy. I mean, DeAndre Jordan's an awesome example of how misleading some of this stuff can be before the draft where, you know, we'll get to that later. But, you know, he goes in the second round and I was going back and, and looking at some stuff and it was, oh, there's rumors about this and rumors about John J. Jordan, by all accounts, everybody loves that guy. Like every teammate has loved him. Have you never heard anything bad about him? So sometimes it's misleading. Sometimes it's accurate, but doesn't mean anything. And in this case with Beasley, I had a scout who is one of my, you know, I, I've got a bunch of guys that I talked to who who was, hey, he's like, look, if you're if you take Rose one, I get it, but you're passing on a Hall of Famer. In Beasley and that's what the thought was of Beasley at that time but for Miami they apparently were still calling up hoping that the Rose Beasley thing at least was close to Chicago it Was never going to be the case because he was their guy and then it became is Mayo a better fit than Beasley for Miami which if you go back and read stuff, it'll say that it was, but it was a two-man race. It really was a two-man race here. So even Miami, this is kind of the mock draft thing. Even if they liked a different player better, it was just hard to imagine anyone who was passing on Beasley at two at that spot.
0: I think what's amazing is he's played over 600 games. So it's not like he had, he, not, he didn't get derailed by an injury. He wasn't like a major drug guy, anything like that. He just wasn't that good of a pro. Like his third year in Minnesota, he averaged 19 a game, 32 minutes a game for Minnesota. It's pretty good. You know, that's his per 36 is over 20 a game. He never came close to that again. And bounced around min Miami, Minnesota, Phoenix, back to Miami, Houston, Milwaukee, the Knicks, the Lakers. Seven teams have rolled the dice with him. And he does have moments. You'll be flicking league pass. And he's on and the announcers are excited cause he scored 17 points in a quarter. He is one of those guys, but it just never panned out. We should talk about OJ Mayo really quickly. Heading into that college year, he was considered a potential transcendent prospect and got a lot of high school hype was somebody that we all kind of felt like was going to be a potentially special NBA player. I was like that to me. He was like a, like a, like an overqualified three and D guy. He could handle, he had a terrible performance in the tournament and just everybody kind of cooled off on him and, uh, ends up going third to Minnesota, which doesn't seem great. Nobody wants to go to Minnesota at that point. This is, you know, they David Kahn isn't even there yet. Minnesota flips him along with the Marco Yark and Antoine Walker and Greg Buckner contracts for the fifth pick to Memphis, along with Mike Miller, Brian Cardinal, Jason Collins. And they take Kevin Love 5. That was a great trade by Minnesota. And a not good trade by Memphis.
1: Yeah, great trade. And it was funny because uh, reading some of the mock draft grades after the fact, it's just how obsessed we get about mock drafts. I'll never forget Neil Olshe, GM of the Trailblazers, telling me early on, he goes, mock drafts change everything. They really do. Because if it weren't for mock drafts, your owners wouldn't be reading them, you know, all this different stuff. Like the the results would be different, but you become married to kind of this order and that this guy's too high there or that's too low. And it's like you talk yourself into all this stuff. And one of the draft grades was Minnesota really wanted May or Minnesota really wanted love, but at three, he was too high. (laughs) Right. It's like he went, he went five. Most people thought he was gonna go four. Now, if you can get the asset and pull that off in Memphis who just had this awful run, then go ahead and do it. Like I'm not, but the idea that three is too high
0: for love when they thought he was going four and he went five. Well, the other thing is Minnesota gets Miller in that trade. Then a year later, they were able to flip him with Randy Foy for the fifth pick in the draft from Washington. So that, that trade was just awesome. Two other trades, Indiana had the 11th pick. They took Jared Bayless. Then they flipped him with like Diagu for the 13th pick to Portland. Got Brandon Rush, Jared Jack, and your boy, Josh McRoberts back. So that trade happened. And then Toronto acquired Jermaine O'Neal from Indiana. And this was amazing when it happened because Jermaine O'Neal was kind of washed at this point, but uh, Toronto didn't realize it. They traded TJ Ford, Rosso Nesterovic, and the draft rights to 17th pick Roy Hibbert. All for the chance to have a washed up Jermaine O'Neal. So that was weird. So those are big trades. The other two fuck-ups that actually affected the next two years of playoffs, Cleveland had the 19th pick, which was pretty good, coming out of uh, almost you know, puncher's chance of making the finals in 08. They took J.J. Hickson, and they missed out on that whole Lee Courtney Lee, Ibaka, Nick Batum, really anybody who could have helped them over the next two playoffs. And then the Celtics, this made me mad at the time, FYI. 30th pick, they took J.R. Giddens over DeAndre Jordan. And I, and I even have a joke in my draft diary when it happened. Like, why wouldn't they have just brought DeAndre Jordan in for KG camp? Just spring him in. It's like, here, here's your mentor, KG. KG's going to teach you how to do all the KG stuff. I actually would have been a really good pick for them. And the JR Giddens thing was bad. So there you go. Yeah. Just watching DeAndre Jordan run, you're
1: like, how are 30 guys going to go ahead of DeAndre Jordan? I just, I, I think whatever happened with him... I think some people may have done him wrong and I agree with you. I, I, I think I, there
0: was bad buzz about him. And I think he got sabotaged by it because like what you said before, I was going to the Clipper games in oh nine and 10. He was like a joyful guy. And he seemed like he, I remember even writing about this. He knew everybody on every, on the other team, every, every game, whoever the opposing team was, he knew six guys on the other team and he just seemed like he was this beloved character. And it was like, I thought this guy was a head case. He seems like joyous understand this so I, everybody fucked up just to see
1: one. somebody that big run the way he did and you go normally this guy like if he's deandre jordan he's the 11th pick like there's, it's there's no doubt because well, what you call deandre De- jordan i just De- i just deandre <laughs> De- De- jordan vich <laughs> i just i just threw a little vich on there the hibber part of this is great too because there there's a there's a redraftable where you're trying to figure out where he's going in the lottery. And he went from teams fighting over, maxing him as a restricted guy to out of the league. It felt like overnight to, wow, Miami has no answer for Roy Hibbert to, we can't play him in games. And that felt like it was it was a couple of years, but it felt like a span of a couple of weeks. Um, Wait, and then, Port-
0: Portland tried to max him,
1: right? Yeah, Portland offered him a tender. And that's my favorite thing is getting to talk to front offices when other teams tender their guys and they get so pissed about it. And it's like, you guys do the same thing.
0: Like you did it three years ago to this other team. Yeah, but that was different. Right. (laughs) A couple comedy things from the draft. Apparently, this is from my draft diary. Mayo's nickname was The Juice, which is kind of hard to believe anybody wanted to be The Juice after The Juice, O.J. Simpson, double murderer. Okay, well, I got to jump that in away. because
1: he's also AKA the Grocery List.
0: Oh, which well that, I didn't, I didn't know. That didn't I work either. That, yeah. Jay Billis thought Michael Beasley reminded him of a cross between Derek Coleman and Roy Tarpley.
1: Wow, that's amazing! What a call!
0: Yikes! <laughs> no, but is that one of the greatest calls ever? So I said I'm setting the over under of Beyond the Glory episodes involving members of the 08 draft class at four point five. We might be there because we have Derek Rose, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo. Um is there a fourth one?
1: What's the criteria? Westbrook
0: will get one. I don't know. What was the criteria for Beyond the Glory? I barely I thought those were documentaries that were like had a little edge to him. The other thing too, in
1: in that tournament game you mentioned, Mayo had 20, but he just missed a bunch of shots, but he lost to Beasley. Um the K State was the Mayo. Yeah, Less money
0: in that game, it still bothers me.
1: So it still bothers you. Because remember the Mayo thing, too? I remember once somebody described the recruiting because he was a West Virginia kid. And it was like, well, what was the USC thing? And it was I mean, this is early branding stuff, but it was he wanted to be in LA because of his brand. He was going to stop by for a year, do his thing post Bat Liner. Right. And then it was all investigated. And we all know they were, the wins were vacated, although it's not like they had that deep run. But I was told that the recruitment was someone from Mayo's camp called USC and said, hey, he's coming to USC. And it was like, okay. (laughs) That was... The school was told he's coming.
0: Well, the other thing... He... uh, I mean, he was legitimately old. and Was he... Did he shave a year off his age at one point?
1: Are we talking... OJ, because... Reliever here? He's he's
0: 21 as a rookie, but that's... Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. He he was born in November 5th, 1987. So during his freshman year in college, he was 20. Um, I don't know. He, he just, it, it wasn't like Kobe coming out of a uh, high school at age 17. The Mark Jackson did this draft at one point. He's, he said he thought the Knicks should take the best available guy. Um, not wrong, not wrong. The Clippers took Eric Gordon, And I wrote in the draft diary, here come the Clippers at number seven, ready to ruin yet another promising career. And the lucky loser is Eric Gordon. Logical pick. I can't say a bad thing about it. Right spot for him, right team. I look forward to watching the hope get sucked out of him over these next few years. It's exactly what happened. Super talented guy. Couldn't have been a worse team for him. And then gets up, gets thrown into the Chris Paul trade. And we'll talk about him later, but that was a bummer.
1: Yeah, but Uh, his third year, he put up,
0: pretty he was big good numbers. and Yeah, he's... Uh,
1: I mean, Save look, it for still the Aragorn part. Okay. Save,
0: save it right. for Aragorn. Um, Charlotte took DJ Augustine over Brooke Lopez. That was the thing that happened. And then uh, Andy Katz said the Kings took Jason Thompson at 12. Andy Katz said he was the best player they worked out. And I made the point, that's always smart. Ignore four years of his college games. Concentrate on the two workouts. It's he had a little run, though. this. He
1: did He did yeah, have a little yeah, moment there in the beginning. And then it was all of a sudden he didn't have a position, and it was like, no, it's over now, man. That was That was another weird one. God, there are a lot of weird stories in this draft.
0: He's one of those guys that would have been way better off if he came in the league in 1984. And he's just like battling Michael Cage and Buck Williams. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere.
1: What a wonderful day!
0: This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale
1: now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: All right, it's time. We're redrafting. You want the first pick or the second pick? Second pick's more interesting.
1: Uh, really... I think the thing is the third pick is the interesting thing. So, you know what? You can have the first pick.
0: Well, if you think the third pick's interesting, no, I, you want take the first pick. no, I want to All see right. what you're going to do. I want to see what you're going to do. All right. First pick, Russell Westbrook. We already talked about him. MVP, two first team on NBA's, five second teams, two third teams averaging a 25, seven and eight, the playoffs 23, seven, eight for his career. And, uh, we've talked about him way too much on this podcast. I don't have a lot more to say. I will be interested to know how much is left for him. He's already at 20,000 points. He's played 12 years, 874 games. The next five years of his career are going to be fun to see how they play out from, uh, f- athleticism, durability, all that stuff. I don't, it, you could tell me that it's going to be a quick downturn. Or you could tell me he's just a freak and he's going to just be doing this until like he's 38. I don't know the answer.
1: I wouldn't want to bet on uh, bet against him finding a way to be productive just because of his intensity. Like I just, I just think that's the way this guy is wired and that's the part of him I love the most. I do think our reaction to him would be very different if it wasn't, uh, maybe not very different because this, this is a bigger picture thing. But the way he turned it around this year too in Houston after it being just abysmal The first few months and then they get rid of the center they open the whole thing up and he's putting up these monster numbers again but i just think wherever he is i don't know that you're going to win any playoff games but wherever he is he's just going to care more than almost everybody else that's out there and he's just going to find like he's going to get those in between buckets he's going to get buckets that other guys just don't have the effort level for so i think he's always going to be kind of productive even later on as the athleticism slips you're up on the clock number two by the way, Russ has 7,000 more points than anyone in this class, 3,000 more assists, 3,300 more assists, and he's third in rebounds in this entire class. Okay, um, I, I I don't really think there's much debate here. I think it's Kevin Love. Love, it's a weird story for him, though. I mean, monster numbers, like exactly what you would want. Stretch four, who is incredible from the three-point line. For his career, he's 37%, but one year with... Minnesota is 42%. The next year, he's 26 points a game, 13 boards. He's got another 20 and 15 game in there or season in there. He had like a weird year where he couldn't hit any threes for some. Oh, well, he was hurt that year. He uh, he
0: hurt his uh hurt his hand or his wrist.
1: That's right. He played he 18 made, games. He
0: made a second team on NBA in 12 and 14, and then 13, he was hurt.
1: That's right. Okay, so... Then he comes back and plays basically a full season at 25 years old in His last year there. He's 26, 12 and a half, 38% from three and seven attempts. But it was this constant battle. Like Rambus didn't want to play him. They gave him the shorter year on the contract. they are like, is this guy, you know, like some of these guys in this class, like, hey, what happened to OJ Mayo's numbers? Well, the weird thing is, is once he started shooting less, the team got a little bit better. There's a few guys and it's like when Beasley has those big numbers. Okay. They didn't even win 20 games that year. So there's. You always got to look at some of these numbers and go, what do these numbers really mean when the teams are losing all the time? Then you can see the teams get a little bit better and then these guys take less shots. Uh, That's not necessarily the case for Love. He goes to Cleveland. We know there's not going to be as many shots for him. He loses like six shots per game from 14 to his first year in Cleveland. But he's still hitting threes. He's just missing time. He missed most in 18, 19. He's still only 31 years old. So I think he's oddly, like I said before, become a little underrated. But he's so lost in Cleveland, and he signs the big contract. But he's he's a productive player who's put up maybe misleading gaudy numbers, but still puts up really good numbers. But he was invisible in LeBron's shadow, and now invisible on a bad team no one cares about.
0: I have two Kevin Love points. First one is I really like the early version of Kevin love before he actually was overqualified to be doing what he was doing. And, and it made more sense for him to be a 26 and 12. year old guy at the end of games guy, his, his, uh, third season in the league. He averages 20 and 15, four and a half offensive rebounds a game. Four and a half. Yeah. He led the league I, in rebounding. And, and when you, and when you went to see him, it was so much fun watching him on the offensive boards. Cause he really like was religious about, you know, a little like Rodman style. Um, it was one of the best rebounders I've ever seen. And I think it's a shame that as his career went along, he drifted further and further away from the basket. You take this guy when he's around the rim, one of the best offensive rebounders, I think of the last 20 years. And then as a defensive rebounder, one of the best outlet passers and yeah. I just love that version of him. I, I, I really wish he didn't go to Cleveland, which is my second point. And I know it worked out. They won the title, the whole thing. But I think for the most part, it's been a waste of his talents. Because I think LeBron, in a lot of ways, was a power forward anyway. If you just look at his playoff stats, right? He only, he's only in the playoffs four years. His playoff stats, he's 15 and 10, 40% field goal, 40% three-point. 85% free throw, only 2.3 offensive rebounds a game. And here's the killer, 3.7 free throws a game. He's basically being used as Ryan Anderson. And I just think it's a complete waste of what that guy's good at. I, I want that guy on the, on the rim. He's got unbelievable hands, quick feet. Some of the best instincts we've seen of anyone in the last 25 years. And you have him in the fucking corner. I know they had to do it that way. But I just think it's a shame. I wish we could do his career over again.
1: That 25-year-old season, 13 and 14 again, he's 77 games, 26, 12 and a half, eight free throw attempts per game, and he makes his free throws. He's 83% from the floor. And he, I got to say, he, he
0: was unstoppable in the paint. Like, if there was a rebound, he was usually getting it. He was great at up fake stuff. Like, he was a very old school, kind of the player that you and I grew up with. Like navigating yeah, but navigating this shoot. modern world, but he could shoot. Like I, I just think it's a bummer he went to Cleveland. I really do. And it, that's not a knock on LeBron. I just kind of I think he was overqualified to do what he did for Cleveland. JD He's, Drew
1: rule here in effect, because if they don't come back from three one, do we look at his career differently?
0: I lo- I'm looking at his career as a guy who in the playoffs is 15 and 10, which is just not that special. And I gotta be and honest. By the way,
1: th- those numbers feel high. Because of how many times in the playoffs you were like, what's going on with him right now?
0: Right. They're a little inflated by some of the easy series. I gotta be honest, I had him third. I had Derek Rose second. So here's the okay. case. Um <laughs> You think it's not even debatable, huh? No, I think it's very debatable. Okay. I, I just I had Rose second on my list because he's an MVP. I think that matters. I think the injury was a fluke. Maybe it would have happened anyway because the way he played, I certainly was afraid watching him that he was going to get hurt. And I always have felt that way about Westbrook too. certain guys where you're you're John Morant's like that. I'm constantly worried. He's going to get hurt by the way he plays. So maybe it would have happened anyway. I don't know. But you know, you think like year three wins the MVP. He's the best guy in a 60 win team, 25-7 and four, 45%, 33, 86, um, for the percentages. And he's like 22. And I, the question I keep asking with some of this stuff is if you play his career 20 times, is this one of the best versions, one of the mediocre versions or one of the worst versions? I think it's probably one of the worst versions. I I think there's a world where Westbrook and Rose, if, if Westbrook hurts his name, maybe as you pointed out before Westbrook's so tough mentally, he was going to fight through it. Rose, he has a lot of, lot of issues, obviously, maybe he's not as strong fighting through an injury and recovering things like that, but I just think it was bad luck. And I think the upside of him was just higher than Kevin Love. I think he's a better basketball player. Kevin Love to me, if he's putting up huge stats, I don't know if you're winning. And it, it's weird because I, it, it's almost like the most overqualified ever version of David Lee. Where it's like, if David Lee is this involved in your team, what's ultimately happening? Because he can't guard anybody on the other end. Now we know with the league where it's like, you don't really need a power forward who's 6'9", who's constantly in a mismatch, getting in pick and rolls, but he can't play center. So that would be my... I know what Derrick Rose is. I know I can contend for a title if he's one of my best three players he's healthy. I guess I I
1: just push back on the idea that because the ACL thing happened that that's fluky and then none of the other stuff is is fluky because it was a real problem for him in Chicago when he came back and how True. long it took him to come back and what was happening and you know this was some of the early signs of of, of the pro player coverage and that it's like well you know it's his body and if he's worried it's like yeah okay but you know eventually when you're cleared and people want you back and think you're coming back and have a uniform ready for you to go in a playoff game. And then you're not like that's, that's screwing up everybody else on the team. And the, remember the Knicks moment where he just disappeared and you go, (laughs) what's going on. And it, it was actually like the fact that he is who he is the last two years, Bill is incredible. And it's you know, like I'm, I'm so happy for him because I hate like you that we missed out on this awesome version. But if we're doing this redraft and like what you have to your team, there was some real weird moments there for Rose where I guess I can't really blame him. A young kid whose career is completely derailed based on like being a Hall of Famer, maybe contending for titles. But there was some stuff that was really hard to explain with him for a bunch of seasons. And he basically missed like five or six years, not total, but seasons where he doesn't even come close to playing a half a year
0: he reminds me of a lot of guys that we grew up watching that I loved who got derailed for dumb reasons, you know, whether it was Michael Ray Richardson or Walter Davis, guys like that because of cocaine or guys who just had a knee injury at the wrong time or both. Um, but you look back at their career, what it should have been versus what it actually was. And I was looking at that and I'm like, well, why did it turn out that way with him? I think the knee injury was bad luck. I don't think he had the kind of infrastructure around him to kind of cope with the bad luck. Whereas I think if Westbrook had torn his ACL, he just would have, he would have been back in 11 months. He would have been like, I'm not letting this beat me. For whatever reason, Rose let it beat him. And I think he had a really hard life and he had a lot of, a lot of issues on and off the court. And, uh, you know, it's just a bummer. Uh, I, I look, I remember in my basketball book, I wrote about, I had a hall of fame. I wanted to have these different wings. And one of the wings was like the comets, like these guys that they weren't hall of famers, but they had like this two year window where you're like, man, I'll never forget watching that guy. I feel like he's like that for me. He's one of those comic guys for me. I I thought he was unbelievable in person those couple of years. Yeah, the, it's tough for me to
1: win the argument with Love over Rose, though, when you talk about winning games, because Rose was winning games. I mean, they won 58 games that year as the MVP. They were the one seed in the East. Or excuse me, they won 62 games. Miami, as I said before, won 58. And Love was almost like power forward Trey Young, in, in a way. Uh, he was. And he was so, sh-
0: you the that- Sharif Shari- Abdurrahim All-Stars, I used to call him. You want him on the fantasy team, but not... Maybe not in real life as much. But yeah. you know, I gotta say, he came through huge in the uh in 2016. Like that, that he he stopped Curry on the biggest defensive stop of that entire season and made a couple of big plays, and that counts for something.
1: I did have a few Warriors uh people reach out on the on the Love Curry thing, and they, they were quick to point out that Curry admits he just was going for the kill shot there because I still mm. think he could have gotten around Kevin Love.
0: Um, well that that's another what if with him right because it was Clay Thompson Clay Thompson David Lee for love was the trade that was on the table and there the warriors were split on it and ended up they ended up not doing it and probably a good idea because you know how it played out was how it played out all right you're on the clock at number 4
1: I'm going to go with somebody who statistically is well he's actually a little higher up in the mix but i'm going brooke lopez wow yeah you're right yeah. this is
0: a fun draft
1: yeah now
0: i had lopez, him sixth. lopez went from
1: 20 a game not great nets teams didn't rebound enough set up so far away from the hoop and you're like what the hell is this like why are you posting why are you posting up on a country pass like why am i you're catching a ball 18 feet away from the hoop and you're just going to take a turnaround, but he got enough shots and he also got to the free throw line and he was pretty good from his free throw line. But you just, you went from like, ah, oh, man, he just doesn't, because he rebounded. All right. Um, his, his first couple of years, it just got worse and worse. You're like, why this guy just doesn't rebound. And then he completely reinvents himself. Signs for just above the minimum, essentially. And somebody that didn't take any threes, the first, Seven, eight years of his career, five a game, four a game, six a game, five a game. He wasn't shooting it as well this year with Milwaukee, but he was great the previous three years from three. And he's reinvented himself. And I think as a mobile defensive big who can cover a lot of ground, I actually still think he's going to be productive for a while. So I like him better than some of the other people that statistically are are looked on more favorably from this class.
0: Average twenty plus four times. Had some bad luck with how it worked out for him, right? He's they put together that Nets super team and Darren Williams just ends up flaking. They the the whole he's there through the whole fall of Prokhorov era. Ends up on the 2018 Lakers for some reason. Um, and it's just I I'm with you. I always liked him. I always thought he was kind of semi-unstoppable when he when he posted up. And there was the year, one of the years the Celtics had actually had both of the years, they had the Nets pick and my dad and I would just be rooting against the Nets and Lopez would just like win, just win the Nets, these games. And it was so fucking frustrating and be like, you know, they're down one with 11 seconds left coming out of a timeout, like just double team Lopez. Can, can he not have the ball? And then he'd end up, you know, and one Brooke Lopez. And uh, I just thought he was really good so I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out for him but he's another guy like with Ke- like same way I feel about Kevin Love I hate that all these guys are so far from the basket I think he's like unstoppable within 6 feet if he's got the right guy in his hip you know and and now he's just like but now a three he's, point shooter
1: Yeah but now he's not even that guy and I think that's why I actually like him more because before I would just it was just weird with him. He would set up so much further away than normally a guy on in a, in a post catch. Now, nobody runs post offense anyway, so yeah, it doesn't matter. Done. But, I mean, yeah. the other crazy thing about him, the last couple of years, he's basically a career-high blocks per game, which doesn't happen. Usually, you don't play 10 years and then start blocking more shots. But a lot of that is how smart he is. And he's also high on the teammate grade thing, too. So Totally.
0: Uh, and And the defensive metrics back it up. He's... The eye test says he's oh he's kind of better defensively than I realized he was, and then all the metrics are backing up. My uh my fifth pick is going to be Serge Ibaka. I just love guys like this. I I know. I know I can just play him in a playoff series, and he's probably going to be playing crunch time for me unless I have an awesome center. The the some of his numbers like. In 2012 he averaged 3.7 blocks a game. I don't remember that. That's a lot of blocks. He averaged 3 blocks a game in 13 um
1: then he just stopped.
0: Yeah, but became for the most part a pretty good open three-point shooter eventually. Unfortunately, he didn't really learn that skill until uh after OKC their window closed for the uh title, but um in the playoffs he did pretty well too. Is somebody that he played 133 games in the playoffs so far and averaged 29 minutes a game. So he was always valuable at every point in his career in Toronto, um, 20.8 minutes a game for them in the 19 run. And he came up huge for them a couple of times during that run. I just always liked them. And I, and I think in 2014, when he gets hurt in that San Antonio series, And then he ends up coming back and whatever the fuck happened. I do think they could have beaten San Antonio that year. And I think his injury changed that.
1: So I had him, I had him fifth. I had him fifth as well. Uh, you know, I had Westbrook love Rose thing. You kind of get me to second guess the bros thing a little bit there, but uh,
0: no, I I think it's a good argument.
1: Yeah. And then I had Lopez fourth, but I had surge fifth. Uh, Serge is, is such an interesting player because he basically was a power forward, forever and then he turned into like a two guard on offense and he went from not taking any threes to taking three a game and he hit him but i felt like his blocks overrated him a little defensively where i thought that miami series he made some huge mistakes just kind of not understanding the coverage on some things so you're talking
0: 2012
1: yeah when they lost the finals to miami yeah he's
0: He's he pretty some, raw. I, feel, I felt like it took him a couple years to really be trustworthy in games like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's only think, his third year in. He wasn't even a yeah. scorer at that point. But the blocks, those next couple of years, like that's 3.7. So that's a third year in. So that's when they were in the finals. Blocks can get really, I mean, that's a huge number. So you start to go look at this defensive stopper. And it's like, okay, blocking shots, though. Like, look at white side, like white side blocks shots. And I think he's one of the worst defensive players in the league. And so. When I, I know, but
0: it's isn't it weird though when you look back and you think they just could have played him at center and Durant at power forward and had two guys who were seven feet and have length, and then just like why play Perkins one minute?
1: Because who else are you gonna run that first post play for every single game to start the
0: game?
1: <laughs> you can't, you uh-huh. can't do that to Big Perk. Uh I Obaka, you know, the redemption for me, because then I kind of felt like he was this lost guy because I go he's so far away from the hoop all the time like he's in love with his shot and he made it but I you you kind of hope like where you have this great defensive presence who can also be a big who can shoot threes and you're like actually you have just a big who shoots a lot of threes but he was so good in big spots against Golden State when they won the title for Toronto like he had some moments where he's the only other guy doing anything remember the Philly, going off yeah
0: game seven Philly too that was the other one he was that big was in the that other game. one
1: so he he jumped up in my book as it's kind of just being like eh about him for a long time. I'm not saying he sucked or anything like that. I'm not being ridiculous, but for him to show up that way, like he did for Toronto uh, during that 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 championship run, really showed me something with him. So,
0: and I think if you have him for 12 years, you're going to be just happy in general with the 12 years. I forgot Zach Cram sent us a couple stats. Seven different guys from this draft made an All Star team, which is the most in any draft since '03, 3 The average player from the draft has collected 24.9 win shares, most since 2003. And uh, the total win shares for non-lottery players in 8 which includes Ibaka, ranks third in the whole lottery era. So there you go. All right, you're, uh, you're in the clock at number six. I think I know who you're taking.
1: DeAndre Jordan? Are you being ironic? No, no, I'm taking him.
0: Wow, I never thought you were a fan. Uh, well,
1: at this point, um, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Like I think he's I think he's a classic Chris Paul study where it's like, oh, see what happens when you don't have Chris Paul passing you the basketball every single time? Like it's 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 a little harder to get yeah. this stuff going. But the rebounding numbers are nuts. He's got like 2,500 more rebounds than anybody else in this class. He led the league 13 and a half, 15. He's basically been double figures for a really long time. Yes, there are some Dallas moments there where it's like, I don't think this guy's real locked in right now. And that part I never quite got. But he's the whole reason why Durant's in, uh, in Brooklyn. Oh, no, wait, that's Kyrie. Uh, I, I think DeAndre, when he's right, when he's invested, he's... I mean, it's tough because, you know, you want everybody to be able to score. So in today's game... You know, he, he might not be somebody you have to do, but you still have to kind of pay attention to him. And I I still, I don't know. I didn't, I was kind of at this point, like there's one other name that I would go with, but I could understand, I probably had more arguments for the guy that I was going to pick after DeAndre here than than I had anti-DeAndre arguments. So I'm pick, taking him sixth.
0: You left out the dunking with him, which was really fun.
1: Especially earlier
0: in his career with the alley-oops. <laughs> well, no, with the alley-oops. It was just, he had a fun early part of his career when he wasn't like a distinct potential all-star yet, but was just a fun guy to have on your team. And also great, great, uh, great teammate. Everybody likes him. I did not have him in that spot though.
1: Okay. Who'd you taken?
0: I, I, with my seventh pick, I'm taking Eric Gordon, who I think is a really good basketball player who is a classic. If you played this career 20 times, was this the worst scenario of it? I'm just looking at this draft. The actual draft, Chicago Rose, Miami Beasley, Minnesota Mayo trade, Seattle Westbrook, Memphis Love, Knicks six, they take Gallinari, Clippers seven, Eric Gordon, eight, Milwaukee, Joe Alexander. Even if he goes to the Bucks at eight and he's playing with like Andrew Bogut and whoever else on that Fear the Deer team, I think he would have had such an easier time. Instead he's on the fucked up Clippers and you know, and then all of a sudden when things finally start turning, it gets traded in New Orleans. Now it's another rebuild. Then they get drew holiday within a year. Then a couple of years go by, he gets hurt a few times. They have by all accounts, one of the worst medical staffs in the last 20 years of the NBA. Then eventually ends up in Houston and we kind of saw what would become with him. But, um, just, He's just worst case scenario on whatever team, 17 a game, and he's going to make almost 40% of his threes, knows where to go, knows what to do. You can run plays for him at the end of games. His third year with the Clippers, he was 22.3 a game, 45% field goal. And I, I got to say, that was a really fun Clippers team because that was Blake. That was, uh, there was Baron Davis for at least a little while. And then they ended up trading Baron Davis to get rid of his contract for Mo Williams. But I really like going to those games. I like Baron Davis with Eric Gordon and 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 DeAndre starting to come on and Blake starting to emerge, and I enjoyed that team. Like it's a team that if they hadn't made the Chris Paul trade, still would have been really fun to watch. Yeah, he
1: was really coming on, and there were some other numbers too. Like he, I think he might have been the number one like shoot off a pick and roll guard in the league that year. Where you go, okay, this guy has like a real weapon and something you bring. And it was always a little scary because when you watched him for those that saw him in high school and then the year at Indiana, it was really impressive, but you were kind of like, what kind of athlete is he going to be? Is he going to be one of those guys that's like done athletically too soon? And that's kind of the case, but it hasn't really, I guess it's changed who he is as a player, but he's still incredibly productive. I know he wasn't shooting it that well this year, but this is somebody who just lights it up from outside, taking over eight threes a game. Now. I mean, he scored 18 a game over basically a full season just a couple years ago. And he's, yes, the system, it's the Houston system, and it's all these things, but you'd still want an Eric Gordon on your team. And I think because he just, he always looks a little slower. He looks like he's, uh, he's just, he's never quite the athlete. Maybe you thought you were going to be when you watched him when he was a little bit younger, but I think the part that's misleading is because he doesn't look like he's this quick twitch guy or a guy who's breaking everybody down. It takes away from the fact that he actually is good at getting to the hoop. Like he is good at initiating contact. And because he's thick, it works to his advantage. Like he, these guys are all of those rockets players are, are big in not height, but like just how strong they all are. And he fits in perfectly with all these different things. Cause he can still handle it. Even though he looks like this guy's just going to take a million threes every game. He's somebody that can still handle and get to the hoop and then make the right read on stuff. So, I've been really impressed with the second part of his career after worrying like who he was going to be after some of the injuries and then the weird stuff with his contract and like he wanted out and then they weren't going to let him out when he wanted to go to Phoenix. I mean, he had some weird bumpy stuff there where you started worrying like, what's this going to look like in year 10 if he's even still around? And now I think he's just going to make threes for another five years.
0: At least there's this one really fun game from 2011. It was right before they traded Barron. They beat the Lakers, it was a home Clippers game. Gordon had 30 against Kobe and for whatever reason, every time they played the Lakers, he, he, one of the things I liked about him as a young player was he kind of felt like, Oh, it's me and Kobe. It's the two of us. Like he's one of those irrational guys. (laughs) Yeah. But, (laughs) but it was like, Oh, it's time, time for me and Kobe to have a duel. But, uh, so he has 30 Griffin has 18 and 15. Deandre has 15 rebounds. Baron has 14 and eight and they beat the Lakers. And, I don't know i felt like they were uh kind of building something there and that obviously you have to trade for chris paul that was a no-brainer but um i think he would have i think him and blake griffin would have been a good combo the next couple years uh you're you're up at you're up at number eight danilo Hmm. i i that was my toughest call was who to put at number eight
1: i think you can make an argument he should have gone ahead of gordon I don't know if um, you wanted me to keep updating these, though, just all the stuff that we have on uh, on the nicknames off a of basketball reference because Eric Gordon's got a bunch. A.K. The Hobbit, A.K. E-Money, A.K. E-G, A.K. E-J, A.K. Splash Gordon, A.K.A. 3G, A.K. Air Gordon.
0: I think they make almost all of those names up, of the basketball I d- reference ones. I, I half think of so those too. I've never heard in my life. So Gallinari, 16-5, 38% from three for his career. And, yeah, and he's
1: getting better, by the way. Do you realize like, what he's done the last couple of years
0: on two different stops? I enjoyed him. I liked him on the Clippers. And he's had three different runs on teams that weren't supposed to be as good as they were where he was involved, right? That 2013 Nuggets team, the heyday of Ty Lawson, I think they won like 57 games. Um, that Clippers team last year, when... All of a sudden, they were like, what, 49 and 33 or whatever. They win a game off the Warriors. And then this OKC team this year, he was a big part of that. Him and Chris Paul and Shea Shea Gilgis and uh, Steven Adams. That was basically it. But he is somebody that we have seen over and over again, does stuff that helps the team. And if he's one of your six guys, you're not going to regret it. Celtics have liked him for 10 years. He's had a weird career because he had bad first
1: impression, 28 games, rookie year. And I think he would be, he'd be like one of your friends that has a good run and then he does something really stupid like once every year. And then you're like, ah, this guy. Yeah. That's what Danilo's career is like. Because just when it seems like it's getting steady, then he misses time and he gets traded. Dumb injury. He, yeah, yeah. He, he missed the entire 13, 14. And then with Denver, he started to put up some pretty big numbers. Again, shorter seasons. But he's played, well, oh, I don't know. I mean, geez, he hasn't played over 70 games since twelve thirteen. 13. That's really his problem. The perception of him isn't inaccurate, that he isn't around a lot. But he is a more productive player than you realize. He's 43 and 41% from three the last couple of years. He's scoring 20 and 19 Clippers last year in 68 games, 55 games at Oklahoma City. This year, he's still a decent enough rebounder. He can make a pass, makes his free throws. And he's still only 31 years old. But. What, and he's got a little,
0: he, he's got a little of that Italian in him too. He's got, he's what does that guy mean? Th- Well, I'm half Italian. I'm qualified to talk about this. He, he, he thinks he's a little better than he is. He carries himself with, Hey, fuck you. And have you ever heard him say that? No. In crunch time, not going to yes. be scared. Yes. He, yes he's going to be like, Hey, what are you looking at? And. I don't know. I always, I always, as a fellow Italian, I always appreciated the way he carried himself.
1: <laughs> I think you just want to say he smokes cigarettes and drives the Vespa. I think yeah, that's what baby. you're trying to say.
0: <laughs> Not somebody who would be like, where is this guy going in crunch time? Like, I, I actually think the opposite. So, all right. So I had him ranked ninth and I'm going to take with the ninth pick, the guy I had eighth. I just like him. Goran Dragic, um, third team, all NBA in 2014. One of the weirdest careers, just uh like one of the weirdest basketball reference pages you'll look at because he's basically a bench guy for the first five years of his career. And then within a year, he's third team all NBA. And uh I he's a guy that if I was a GM, I would have traded for at least once. I've always liked his game. I'll never understand why Phoenix tried to put him and Isaiah Thomas together. That was fucking weird. Uh, was valued enough that Miami gave up two unprotected first-round picks for him. Like, that's how much talent he had. I don't think Gallinari, Eric Gordon, Ibaka, maybe Ibaka would have gone for two unprotecteds at some point, I don't know. But um, at when he's good, he is a 20-6, and six, and he's going to make four out of every 10 threes, and you can run pick-and-rolls with him at the end of the game. And is a good playoff guy and single-handedly knocked the 2010 Spurs out of the playoffs, which was unbelievable as it was happening. Um, I'm a fan.
1: Yeah, two years ago in a full season, he was 17, 5, and 4. And he shot, what was he at? I mean, he's had some big three-point shooting seasons. Yeah, he's 41% from three. I, I think he's healthier than people realize. Like last year, he missed a ton of time. He's coming off the bench this year, but he's still scoring 16 a game for a good Miami team that if it weren't for their road record, maybe I think it'd make a little noise in the play. Maybe they still can. But he, you know, before that, two years ago, you go back 75 games, 73 games, 78 games, 76 games, 77 games. So other than the never starting any of the games and coming off the bench and playing under like 20 minutes a game for four seasons in, or actually, excuse me. Yeah, but, like they, three but we got to say
0: why though? Because he's Nash's backup. And I think he was. There came a point where he was really overqualified to be a backup point guard in the league. I, I think he was better than probably ten guys who was actually starting. Like guys like DJ Augustine were starting games when he was backing up Nash. So, you know, a little bit bad luck there. On the other hand, you could argue playing with Nash, he might have learned some stuff that um, became valuable going forward. But I, I was just really appreciate him. He's one of my favorites. At this point, I think we've had. Close to the same order. It just seems to be
1: we're one off every time where I have a guy that you take, you know, the slot behind. Um, we can
0: start moving faster now, by the way. Probably. George Hill. I'll take him 10th. Good pick. I agree. Um, 26 pick in the actual draft. Good enough to get traded for Kawhi Leonard. I think he's had a really nice resurgence on this Bucks team.
1: He's leading the league in threes at 48% this year. Yeah. There's, there's know, really not somebody, much else to add. You know who he is. You know what we are going to get.
0: I think if he's your third guard, you're feeling great. Yeah. If, if you're in no. an eight-man rotation and he's playing 24 minutes a game, you did awesome.
1: He's actually fifth in win shares for this class, too.
0: Interesting. I also... I remember when Zach wrote the piece about the hill Leonard trade for us for Grant. Zach Randolph? Zach Zach Lowe. Oh. And uh, Zach Randolph never wrote for Grantland. Um. Pop was like devastated when he had to trade George Hill. He loved George Hill. It was just the right move because he had Parker and Parker was still one of the best 15 or 16 guys in the league. And at some point they needed a win guy and they knew it and they love Kawhi and they made the deal. But just think Uh, if
1: they had traded Parker for Valanciunas, then Kawhi is never on the Spurs and they they still have George Hill. And the Celtics could add Robert Swift.
0: Number 11. (laughs) I'm taking a guy who has made $118 million and counting in his NBA career.
1: No, you're not. I don't even have him in my lottery.
0: Yeah, I'm going three and D. I'm taking Nick Batum. (laughs) I'm doing it. It's tough to be
1: three and D when you play zero minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, I liked him for a while. And, you know, unfortunately, he got a giant contract and it fucked him up. And so I'm... I am using that giant contract as kind of the torn ACL of Nick Batum's career. But you know, you're looking at from 2010, all the way through 2018, he is 13, six and five, 35% from three. Like he's basically Wes Matthews or whatever. And he could switch on D with them, all that stuff. I would rather have that than anyone who's left. So you're up 12. Just going to add
1: a couple of Batum nuggets. Um, yeah, the advanced metrics haven't liked him in eight years. That Charlotte mm. team isn't loaded. They don't even play him, and he's healthy. I think his playoff numbers are pretty bad as well. Not that there's a ton there, but they get even worse. He was he was a guy that had this all around game, and he put it together for Portland there a little bit, and they had no problem not Matt like going go ahead. Five 120 million. He still is a $27 million player option next year. Probably gonna pick that one up. Um I I just there's more anti-Batum stuff for me, but it does get a little scarce here. So
0: I'm not crushing the pick yet. Hold on, hold on. It doesn't just get a little scarce here. Here's who's left, <laughs> just for the people listening. <laughs> this is I'm not happy I took Nick Batum, but here's who's left. JaVel Hagee, Roy <laughs> Hibbert, Nikola Pekovic, Ryan Anderson, Omer Asik. Robin Lopez, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo, most Courtney Lee, most Mario Spates. Chalmers, Mazgoff. Like it's not like it's Jared Embrace
1: debate. Like,
0: it's not like my grocery cart was full. Who what about Anthony a, Anthony Randolph, different life, maybe. By the way, still haven't given up on him. You always ask me who have I not give up, given up on from this draft? Anthony Randolph. Still waiting for him to become a Heat Check guy off the bench.
1: Kyle Weaver, a lot of length there. Love who you him. Take, who are you taking uh, at 12? I just think I have to go production, long career. Uh can be DJ Augustine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. I did, did not have him on my list. Unbelievable. Hold on. I have, do, I have to do some copy pasting. DJ Why? Augustine, even he's yeah. bummed out that you took him. I, well, <laughs> wait a minute. So, so w- w- all right. I, I can't wait because I was
1: saving my 14th pick for somebody you weren't going to take. So now I may have jammed myself up unless I don't know because I didn't think there's any way the guy I took last is who you were going to take in your top 14. So I may have just screwed myself. I, what's wrong with Augustine? You see them, you see when they beat the
0: Raptors in game one of the playoffs and he was like, don't you sleep on the Magic? Look, any. Anytime you can get a point guard with a career 10 and 4, got to lock that down. There's no way right. to find that.
1: He's going to be on a roster. He's on a roster really long. It gets really slim here, folks. I, can't believe, he,
0: I can't believe he's played 20,000 minutes.
1: Yeah. Maybe maybe Jesus. you need to maybe you need to brush up on your DJ Augustine before you start killing him.
0: No. They, 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 I know who I you're going to take.
1: I know who you're going to take.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take JaVale. Oh, my God. You're making fun of me? Yeah. I'm taking JaVale. Watched him play on on a, a team that might have been the best team ever, and he played nine point six minutes a game. And then in the playoffs, I think he played more than that. In the for the two thousand seventeen Warriors, he played nine point three minutes a game. Wow, he's, he's been, been in the league. He's been in the league. Oh, I know since <laughs> two thousand eight. Th- no, I mean he's he's been in the league for twelve years, but is still like pretty relatively relevant he's still he's playing 17 minutes a game right now for the best team in the league other than milwaukee and i i don't feel like he's on his way out of the league i he, think he can he is thank what he lebron
1: is. he can thank lebron for the for that offensive production right now because everybody leaves him same for dwight right well now. let me ask uh, you
0: is it harder to find javelle mcgee or dj augustine just in in the league what, i don't know what guy that- is harder to find Mm. that's that was my mindset completely could he play 15 minutes a game for me off the bench as a pick and roll rim protector guy yes
1: do you know i take
0: take javel McGee?
1: do you know that dj augustine has a per for his career of 14.2 is that good do you want want to take any of it back
0: 14.2 that seems high well i'm taking javel i liked his mom i had a good time with his mom at at the USC when we did the doc at the party after she was a delight. Augustine,
1: um, 38% from three in the playoffs for his career, 33 games, not a small sample. That's pretty good. I'm just screwing with everybody right Maybe, now.
0: Maybe. No, we, we should do a book. I'll do on the book of basketball, Twitter feed. Who, who would you take in to redraft? JaVale or DJ Augustine?
1: I'm going to lose. Cause everybody likes JaVale and now he's on the Lakers and all the Lakers fans are going to like go crazy. Oh yeah. You're to, right. They ruin everything. Lakers right.
0: fans just ruin all, all good things. All right, last
1: pick. I'm not going to take him, but he probably should have gone 12 or 13, and that's Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson Mm. filled it up. Now, Ryan Anderson has a little bit of some of the other stuff that we've seen with this class. The less he started shooting, the team started winning a little bit more because it's like, well, can we give Ryan Anderson all of our shots? Like, how many games do we expect to win? But he lit it up there for a while. Also, you want to take a guess over-under? Well, I'm not going to give you over-under. I'll just give you the guess. You want to guess his career earnings?
0: Oh, it's like 130 million, right? Like 100. Yeah, he's
1: over 100. 100 mil for Ryan Anderson.
0: Yeah, he was the other guy I was looking at with that last pick. All right, my last pick, though, I'm just going to take him. I'm taking Robin Lopez.
1: Mm. He, if you ask teams, and this was, this was one of those things where it was like a trade deadline, making the calls. And it was like, watch how hard. It's like that Veragel thing where Veragel may not get the rebound, but it's going to be annoying all night long trying to battle this guy for rebounds. And he's locked in. He's competitive and all that kind of stuff. And I think for the 14th pick here, none of the traditional stats are going to get you all that excited about Robin Lopez. But I just think he makes things difficult on the opponent. And, and I like guys like that, especially if they're coming off the bench and they're the last pick in the lottery.
0: You know what? That's a better pick than JaVale. I regret my JaVel pick now. I'm with you. I, I've always liked Robin Lopez. For some reason, he bounces around. He's been on six teams. Nobody ever seems totally happy with him, but I've always enjoyed him. That's a good Omar, pick. That's a good ender. Tough tough podcast for Roy Hibbert or Ormer Ashik. Roy Hibbert was, you know, we were writing like giant Greatland features about Roy Hibbert, and then he was out of the league two years later, and, and there's really never been an explanation. You it's know what, that's, that's, that's a great way. Like, cause we've already
1: gone over it here and everybody knows the Roy Hibbert story, but it ended so quickly and it was, he was so relevant so fast. I think that's almost canceling out like how good he was there. Like, should he have been the 13th or 14th pick in this?
0: I, he was in the mix, but this, by the way, this was a really good draft, but you look at uh 2012 and 13 playoffs, 30 playoff games. He averages 15 and 10, 2.4 blocks, prompts the Kirk Goldsberry verticality feature, um, and was really ahead of his time. And then the league changed, and he got fucked. And it happened with Para Teach that Atlanta series, when when he, uh, he just stood 25 feet from the basket, and it completely yeah. fucked <laughs> the Pacers up. And that was it. And then basketball changed. Can you imagine, though? That's like...
1: It's one thing when you're a guy who gets cut and you're at the end of your career, and you go, "Okay, look, I, in five years, I'll admit I'm just not good enough." But right now, I can't do it. But to be Hibbert and go, so basically, because the other guys stand so far away, I suck now. Like that's it.
0: Yeah. Well, that was fun. 2008 in the books. Um, who do you you have? You're doing at least two podcasts this week, right?
1: Yeah, we got a bunch of cool stuff. We just finished up with Van and also check out the. Um, because I want to have this conversation. We'll have it, you know, I'll just regurgitate the same stuff, you know, because at that point it'll be six weeks later and nobody will remember. But just the obsession with trying to figure out, like, why teams that were four or five seeds are going to somehow be better now than the teams that were really good. Like, so why why are the best teams now at a disadvantage? And it can't just be as simple as home court, but I feel like a lot of people are trying to get more creative with who they're picking. Van Pelt was on with us, but, um, we have a famous movie producer on this week. So we're going to, he's oh. going to tell me stories. I've already been prepped up on it. He's going to tell me awesome stories about producing some of the biggest movies you've ever watched. So there you go.
0: Awesome. Well, we, we will definitely be around when the basketball playoffs hopefully come back. We might be a little spotty the next couple of weeks, just if there's nothing to talk about, but we'll, f- we'll figure out something. Ryan, we pleasure as always. Thank you, Bill thanks for listening to the book of basketball podcast if you want to hear the other redraftables we did check them out they are all on the book of basketball 2.0 feed see you next time